Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnow. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Wednesday. I'm Dave DeCore here with Moda Keel and Seth Partnow. So that means it's Nerder, she wrote. Guys, we're a little over a week away, eight days away from the trade deadline, so a lot of stuff happening. But we got to start with last night's games. Joel Embiid got hurt. Um, you know, he, he goes into this matchup with the Warriors. He's missed the last few games. Obviously, he heard a lot in the media about, you know, just ducking Jokic and not playing in big moments and not playing against good teams. So he played against the Warriors, who are not a good team, and sustained what looks like a new injury to his knee when Jonathan Kuminga diving for a loose ball lands on his knee. It's, you know, it, it was a, it looked painful. Uh, clearly he was hobbled in this game and I I just don't know how to, how to feel about this. If this makes sense, like, should he play hurt? No. Did he get hurt in a freak play? Yes. Are the two necessarily correlated? No, but are they completely separate? Also? No. So there's, I mean, there's two different things here. There's a sort of, there's the cumulative injury risk. That's like, I'm tired. I do something bad. And then there's the, every time I step on the court, something could happen. And it's, it, it, there's not like a hard and fast line between the two, but this was pretty, the, the actual injury here was pretty clearly on the floor. People run into each other. Thing happened. Now, the fact that he was hobbled, like, I don't think he looked very good like physically in this game before then, like should he have played to begin with? And the whole, that this whole saga of the, the, the injury last Friday to the Denver game to now was was Thursday when he actually, when he actually got, got hurt initially. Um, There's a whole, a lot of different things to break down. Like there's the injury report shenanigans. There's the pressure based on the sort of the previous matchups. There's the 65 game rule. So I don't know which one of those you want to kind of start to tackle now, but I think we do need to be clear that the injury, the actual, the acute injury he suffered was just, you step on the court. That could happen. Right. Exactly. Look, he was, he did not look good. He was hobbled on it. He shouldn't have played in this game. If you want my honest opinion. And I'm going to say this and, and he was bullied into this game by us. And I mean, us, the media, the 65 game rule as well. And all of these things like he played this game when he shouldn't have played this game. Like we, let's just be, let's just be honest about it. Like I yeah. was pissed and disappointed when he, when it was a late scratch against Jokic. I even messaged you guys. I literally defended him last week, went on a rant and was pissed and was like, ah, damn, you know, but he clearly, when he was on the court, 
in this game shouldn't have played. He should have been sitting out. And it's, it's, you know, the injury was a freak injury. It's something that could happen. Like Seth said, anytime you step on the court, could be any guy, all of that stuff. Take that out. He was hurt before that. Yeah. His, his leg wasn't right. He was going to end up having to sit longer. I mean, we should have sat this game out and gotten his body right in all of these things. And I think this is a massive blow in that, like, he shouldn't have been on the court in this game. And now the Sixers season, we we're waiting on an MRI. We don't know one that might come when we're recording, might come afterwards, might be nothing, might be a, a big thing, might be a bone bruise, who knows, like all of those things. It's going to affect their season and all of this stuff. And I think I didn't mind the 65 game rule, but I didn't think that would solve the problem of load management that the NBA has. Cause it's again, it's an organizational issue and not a team, not a player issue. And I think the, uh, I think we're seeing it now where it's actually going to cost them because guys are trying to make sure they play. Look at Tyrese Halliburton. Well, this is a bit of a birdshot situation, right? As far as uh, the solution. And guys with legitimate injuries are getting pulled into this and wrapped up. I don't think anyone, any fan, anyone in the NBA, anybody who devised the the 65 game rule wants to see guys playing hurt. Uh, number one, that's it's suboptimal product. It's it's not good to watch. Joel Embiid was not fun to watch last night. As a matter of fact, like it was a little bit distressing because I know what this guy looks like when he's healthy. I don't want to see him at, at 60% or whatever he was. So he's kind of getting pulled into this thing. And I, I think it is, like Seth said, it's a little bit of everything. There's media pressure to play. There is the 65 game rule. Another situation is that your, your salary is impacted by the awards and now the awards are impacted by the games played. And so you have the situation with Tyrese Halliburton where he may miss out on $41 million in future earnings. Now, look, I'm not going to sit and shed tears for guys, you know, that are going to make a couple hundred, half a billion dollars. You know, I, I look, I understand this, but this is actually affecting his livelihood and he's injured. He's a professional athlete. Like these things happen. So I think that, this summer, I'd love to see, number one, take the money away. You know, don't tie it to awards. <laughs> this, this Apple update with these thumbs up is killing me. Um, so <laughs> you, have to you have to take away the financial part of this that's tied to awards. And if you're going to have the 65-game threshold for awards, that's totally fine. I, I actually am okay. I, with I don't it. think it is. I think it's, I don't. I, think look, it's I don't love it. But if that's what you if that's what you're saying, like the awards are separate from the money. That that I think from a from a labor perspective, the union should absolutely be pushing to do that. The rest of it is. I mean, awards are. I mean, I'm not going to say they're fake. They're real. They're given out, but it, they don't matter. The money does the, you know, the other stuff matters. It's not like anyone's being disqualified from playing in the playoffs, right? Like we, we all agree that this is a championship, you know, you're going for championships. So if Joel Embiid plays 50 games and he's still eligible for the playoffs, like that's fine. MVP doesn't matter as much to me. So I want to, I just briefly want to, want to talk about, you know, Mo mentioned that, that he got, uh, I, one of you two. Uh, that, that he got bullied into playing in this game. And I think there's some of that. I think that I think the Sixers organization 
bears some culpability for this because I think oh, yeah. he hurts himself. He hurts himself going in. The fact that he didn't show up on the injury report in Denver and then was a late scratch, I think did him a disservice in that if he's hurt, he's hurt. We saw him get hurt. And it's just like when it happened, like I was, I was, I was talking to a, a friend who was going to be flying into Denver to cover the game. And he was at the previous game and it's like, well, guess he's, guess he's out. Uh, and it was a reasonable. And, and so they, they buy like, either by oversight or intentional intentionality, like not owning up to the severity of the, of that last injury, put additional pressure on him that like this, if he'd have missed the game after getting his knee rolled up in, you know, in, in the, the game previously, like it's oh he hadn't played in Denver again, but at the same time, this is clearly bad luck. Like yeah. this is, this is, this is clear. Like, and that, and, and instead it's, it's like, will he or won't he? And so it makes it sound like a, a day-to-day pain tolerance, his choice kind of thing, which I think based on what we saw of him yesterday clearly wasn't the case. I mean, so, that's what they were doing yesterday. Yeah. Will he play? Won't he play? Like it was literally the, the same situation. Look, and B should be on the injury report every game, whether he's fully healthy or not. It's, I get the updates from the Lakers media stuff, LeBron James questionable, you know, or whatnot, or, you know, each game in that sense, you know, and it's like, okay. So it's like, yeah, it's that coverage. Seth, you're right in that the organization did a poor job one on the, the, the optics of it. I think they did a poor job not poor job keeping him from that game yesterday. Like, yo, you're genuine. You're genuinely hurt. And this, and, I, and this is the fundamental thing about load management. Sorry, sorry for cutting off. Mo. but this is the fundamental is like, it's always treated as like player chooses to sit out when, uh, when this is a failure of a team doing what teams have been doing that has caused the load management is looking at him being like, I know you want to go, but not tonight, big fella. And and taking that club out of teams' bad bags is it may the optics of it. Oh, we're not going to let guys sit out. Well, now the guy has to sit out. Right. And who do, who did we help here by by releasing this toothless press release of a of a rule that it has no effect anyway? Because like if a guy plays sixty four games, he ain't, he's not winning anything anyway. Right. Like the voters have been reasonably good about like, oh, well, he only played 58 games. So like he's great, well, but we can't. How much of this, though, guys? I mean, look, the TV deal, it's looming. The the yeah. new media rights deal, whatever we're going to call it, because it's going to be more than just TV, is looming. And the NBA is putting out the message to try to counter message the idea that it's a load management league. Players don't play. Stars don't show up. I mean, that is the, that is in the zeitgeist. But they're, but they're trying to. This rule is trying to undo. They're mistaking like a press release for action right. on how I mean, actually, it's the NBA. This is what they yeah. like to do. Right. right? No, I, I just, mean, but I just, I mean, I think that's that, that like, like, look, we're doing something. We're doing nothing, but we're doing something because we said we're doing something. And that's what this is. And it's, it, it's, um, I guess the only surprising thing, I don't even know if it is surprising, is it took this little time for that to get exposed for the nonsense that it is. Yeah. I mean, look, Dave, the TV rights deal for sure plays a part in it. And the conversation around it of like the regular season doesn't matter. I actually want to fight everybody that says that because I think it's a dumb fucking statement in this. And whether it be a player or a fan or all that stuff, because look, look at all the teams who haven't cared about the regular season over the years. And I'm looking at the Clippers, right? They hadn't really given a shit about the regular season all the years. And they flamed out many years. They had one year they went to the conference finals and it, you know, and, and that was great for them. But they really haven't had the the run everybody thought. Look at them now. 
Ty Lue even said, like, we have to care about the regular season. Kawhi has not missed a lot of games. And when he has, it's been full-on hip injury stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. he fell fallen on his hip or something like that. They're right there in the West. You know, and I think they're one of the favorites to come out of the Western Conference. To me, it's them in Denver if everybody's fully healthy. And I think that's – the season matters. Jimmy Butler has come out and said the regular season hat doesn't matter. Kyrie Irving has come out and said the regular season ma- doesn't matter. Look at the standings today. Both their teams are in the play-in tournament. That's why you can't rest. You want to be able to rest the week before the playoffs and not have to play in the play-in tournament. And don't give me the thing of, well, the, the Heat went to the finals last year from the play-in tournament team. That's a uh, uh, That was a fluke in that sense because look at the way they're playing now, and they might do it, they might not, but like, that rest matters. Don't tell me the regular season doesn't matter. That's important, man. You want to be out of that playing tournament. And I think that's a big thing there in, in that stuff. And I think the regular season matters. And I think we're seeing guys care more about it. I, I think so. And I, I just want to like square the circle on this. And it's unfortunate to me that the load, the, the avatars of load management discussion have been Kawhi Leonard and Joel Embiid. Because these are these are players like you know Embiid is a massive human being who has had significant injury issues. None of us can relate to being seven one, yeah. three hundred and ten pounds, remember, and look at how he moves. I mean, and I'm this sorry. is a guy who missed his first two years in the league because right. of it. like this is this is it. Like the fact that his career has even lasted this long is sort is is a testament, I think, to him being managed through this. And Kawhi is a guy for the last you know, basically last five ish years, like has had a, a legitimate like condition that really affects his ability to play multiple games in short spans of time. So it's like, these are like the, the, like there we've seen this in all sports. There are guys who can only go so often because, but they're good enough that you make it work. And the fact that these two guys have become the, the avatars for this, this, this practice we wish didn't exist when these are the two guys for whom it is most appropriate, possibly in the entire league, I think has been unfortunate. Let, let me ask you guys a question real quick about Kawhi, because I wonder if this perception with him, whether because it's become a Kawhi never plays, doesn't want to play, whatever you want to call it, doesn't care. Um, when it really started as a degenerative, a degenerative condition coming off the Zaza Pachulia, so the whole ankle situation. If Kawhi wasn't in San Antonio for that original stretch where he was missing games and he wanted out and there was all the drama around it, would we feel the same way about Kawhi? We would just maybe say, like we did with Brandon Roy, oh, well, he, you know what? That's just one of these guys, He if he can play 55, 60 games, like, you know, we're good, you get to the playoffs. I, I think he gets – it's a little bit of an unfair rep, uh, rep for no, I, missing I, games versus actually like he has a legitimate condition that he has to manage. It's almost like having a bad back, you know. I mean, he's going to have good days and bad days, and I I think that if he isn't in San Antonio with the mystery surrounding his injury that first season that he was going through all this, maybe it's not the same. No, I don't agree, and I also think he has a. Uh, I think he he is actually one of those dudes who I think he does do a lot of the I'm not playing tonight. The stories we have heard over the the seasons with the Clippers is that like they didn't know a lot of times. And that's the organization themselves not knowing if he's coming in or not and in and, and playing tonight or whatnot. So like that's a 
I don't I don't give I give Embiid the 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 doubt you guys are talking about. I don't, Kawhi yeah. does not get the benefit of the doubt for me on that just from what we know over the past few years with his stint with the Clippers and the way things have been were going for a while. This season has been pleasantly surprising in the way he has gone about it. And here's the other thing, and this is the important thing I think that maybe even these organizations are missing and the sports science guys are missing a little bit. Part of it is playing is conditioning your body to it. Sitting out a few nights and then going hard again may not be as good, you know, as smart of a way of going about it in all of those things. I think there's a lot of questions in terms of the science. I think it's, it's a little bit more to it than that. And I think this is the best he's looked. The yeah, and especially look, these all- guys don't practice, right? Like they don't practice, so the games are how they stay in game shape. You know, for a lot of them, I, I know that some guys do off day cardio, but I, I do think that the I, games I, are super important. <laughs> yeah, it just matters yeah. in terms of that and keeping your yourself in shape. Like he's playing Speaking more of- games consecutively, and he looks really good. Let's go look at the the years he was load management. How good did he look in all of those games compared to now? We're, it's not the same. And speaking of body, like, I think Embiid, if he didn't take it, I mean, he's in really good shape. I think Embiid is in really good condition. Obviously, we the Shirley Temples don't come up anymore, right, with, with Joel Embiid. And if he wasn't in this kind of condition and he was getting a little bit of flack for being injured, I think maybe it's not as bad. But I'm with you. I just don't think anybody can relate to being that big and the beating that your body takes. I mean, he just... I don't know. He's an incredible athlete. And I think part of part of that is he exposes himself to, you know, to being banged up. That it? Are we good with load management? All right. You can just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I think Seth might have might have frozen here. Um, froze, froze for a moment. Yeah. There he is. He's back. All right. So the trade deadline, guys, uh, eight days away, as I said at the top of the show. I want to talk a little bit about some strategy and and process for for teams as they go into the deadline and then we've got a little game that we're going to call fish or cut bait uh with some players that we think teams need to make some decisions on um but going into this deadline we have a new cba for teams so this is the first deadline under the new cba we we obviously we know that it's it's going to be harder and harder for teams to you know in that upper echelon once you get to the second apron approach approaching the second apron it's gonna be hard to add significant talent to your team at the deadline. So what are some of the strategies that you guys feel like teams are employing going into the deadline? Is this fully thinking about this season? How do we, how do we get better for the next few months? Or do you expect a lot of these really good teams to think longer term and look to get a guy that might be there for two or three years from now? I think it depends a lot on the team. And I think this, um, this hits on a point that Mo Mo made last week when we were talking about uh, the Bucks changing coaches is and and we and we gave them and I I think we want it, we should reemphasize it enough like the honest assessment of of where you are as a team and how that affects your strategy. Now in the Bucks case, they were like, "All right, we've won some games, but we're not good enough to get, win the title, and we're we're in a situation where we don't have enough years where we're in a position to win the title left." that we can, we can wait on this. And so I think that that sort of self-assessment plays into this as well. I think that, I mean, if we want to look at two different teams that are, I mean, you know, 
that are high up the standings that are maybe at different spots in terms of where they need to go. It would be in, and the Bucks don't have a lot to trade, so they might not be super active, but you compare the Bucks to like my favorite, the Thunder and you know, the desperation, the now this year, that's all we care about. We'll worry about next year. Next year is where they have to operate. Whereas a team like the Thunder that's at the beginning of, or potentially the beginning of their run is maybe in a different spot. And then the, uh, the, the, you know, maybe a team more in the middle, like the Celtics has to, has to maybe do a little more balancing of those. So I think that's the first part is being like really, really, um, hard eyed and honest with yourself as a team. Where are we? How close are we? How long is our legitimate window? And that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're a good team, because we're good. Everything's perfect is very tempting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the scenario it just comes down to this is when you have your hard truths you know like front offices have like retreats during the season to really kind of figure out what are we you know and 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 you know maybe it's not a retreat maybe it's just a, a meeting in the office where the guys all sit and, and and discuss the where they're going and things like that and the intel they've heard through the course of the season and i think the deal in terms of like the strategy for all of these teams like I mean, Seth nailed it, right? Like the Thunder, everybody's pushing for the Thunder to make some sort of all-in trade and go get the guy. Like, why? Why? Like, they're they're just starting their run. Like, why are we trying to? We see it. Teams make these trades. And like, okay, if you've now jumped the timeline to like, hey, we're just starting to. You better win right now. Because this, this, and this is coming. And like we talked about with the, the CBA, the first apron and second apron, like, there's going to be a lot of ramifications and all of those things. Phoenix is a team that should, you know, I don't know if they have anything, but like that's a team that needs to do something if they're going to make a move because they're at the end of their timeline, similar to the Bucks, because KD ain't getting any younger. And I think there's a lot of that stuff, the Clippers and 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 so on. But the big thing for me, Dave, just going into this trade deadline is I think it's going to be a boring one. I think we're done with trades. I think we're like major ones. I don't know. My confidence on DeJounte Murray getting moved is like decreased by the day. Well, is DeJounte Murray, is that a major trade? I mean, I, I think it, it's maybe there's that's level. It. Is he going to be the best player traded possibly? Like, is, that's is, is he on the deadline maybe, but like right. in a season where Harden, Pascal, and OG all got traded. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think I would I, I, to steal, to steal uh, some of Mo's favorite. I, I think that a high likelihood of, of, of a player being the most impactful guy moving at the deadline has a last name Bogdanovich. That's and, true. I mean, there's two of them yeah. <laughs> that are on and, the block. Yeah. You're just playing the odds game. This is also, you in your old poker yeah. days going also, like Bruce there's two Brown, of them. You know, Bruce Brown is out there and he could be, a, a, I think, a major piece come playoff time for, for a team. Yeah. Um, but these are the level of players we're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's Derek Malcolm White. Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. It's Derek right. White. It's that type of stuff in those things. Um, you know, and, you know, it was uh, amazing in the sense of like, that's the trades we're going to get this year. And it might be 
there might be a trade where we're all going to be like, yo, that's a small move, but oh my God, right? Like the Thunder get Goga, you know, or something. And we're going to be like, oh! Listen, Goga is untouchable, uh, I do believe, down in Orlando. <laughs> um, I, I can't wait to celebrate some team ducking the tax. That's that's what I'm excited about for trade deadline day. There's going to be a bunch of teams ducking the tax. It's going to be good. Uh, speaking of... Can I... Uh, can I, can I yeah, you know, we, we've talked about things that, that the, the CBA this CBA got wrong. Uh, the 65 game rule is I think one of them. There was a proposal or like that came out early when this agreement was that they were going to like not phase in the penalties for going into the tax, but phase out the payments. And so I think that that would have been a much better system than right now. The first dollar into the tax costs you. I don't know how, how, what the tax payments are going to be this year, but probably eight figures. And I, and a, a proposal that was there at the beginning is that slowly gets phased out. And so what this does is it, if you're, you know, pick a team that is pretty good, but not going anywhere this year and you have to get a little worse, but it, it saves you $15 million in both the amount you're paying and that money you're bringing in. Like it's, it's sort of, it's hard to begrudge them. Whereas like that first dollar in the, into the tax only costs you $3 instead of $13 million. I think that's just a much better system and, and does a better job of incentivizing teams to operate without this sort of artificial constraint. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I agree with that. Um, okay, so trade deadline coming up. Good opportunity for, you know, what's the term that, that's been used? Is it second draft? Is that what we say a lot? Where a, a team picks up a young guy that his original team maybe just couldn't find a place for, couldn't find a fit for. But we're going to say fish or cut bait because it's really about the team that has the player in-house. They're the team that makes the decision. They've got him under contract. And there's a bunch of young guys that are kind of, I think, in in a weird spot career-wise. Um, Jonathan Kuminga comes to mind. He has had a fantastic run. Uh, Mo in the chat just said that the Warriors is like everyone on the team. I, I was going to say it on the pod, Dave. Oh, my bad. Damn. I thought you were just trying to make me giggle. Don't leverage uh, the chat. <laughs> 
So, well, Jonathan Kuminga has had a nice run here lately. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys saw him last night. I mean, of course, you saw the Philly game last night. He was he was excellent. He's been scoring inside. He's been a force, um, averaging like 25 a game o- over his last six games. And, you know, I, are we at the point where the Warriors, they either need to commit to he's a starter, he's going to play big minutes for us every single game, and, and maybe that's what's happening right now, or do they need to move him? Fisher cut mean, bait, guys, on Jonathan Kaminga for the Warriors. This is almost two separate questions. Cause the I mean the the because it's like the like the Warriors almost need to fish or cut bait on their 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 team. Like the only reason the only way it makes sense to move Kaminga is if they think that there's there's you know some some uh if there's money left in the banana stand, as they would say in arrested development. Um and I don't think there is. I think they're, I mean, I think they're, I think they're done and, you know, trade trading young guys for the sake of getting better this year doesn't necessarily make sense. So that does still leave open the question of what do we think about Kaminga as a go forward guy? And that's a, that is, I think the more interesting question kind of league wide, but I think we do need to acknowledge that the Warriors, and I think that we've seen over the last couple of years that the Warriors are not an organization that is going to uh really try to address that first question uh with, with, with the honesty needed so just like uh, the player himself is maybe maybe the the where where to go next yeah i think with kaminga though they should fish like they're doing he's they should have been playing him last year if you want my honest like this is a year too late in terms of trying to develop him and and all of those things but he's getting the minutes he's being given the opportunity from kerr to make mistakes, which is always the most important thing for a young player. It's not the ability to play. It's can I pl- get to play through my mistakes? And he's getting those opportunities now. And I think that's a, a situation for them that they need to start keeping an eye on that future. And they've kept saying it and they've cut bait on Bagley. No, excuse me, not Bagley. Uh, uh, um, Wiseman. Wiseman. Sorry. Wiseman. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, I think, you know, they, they were, smart to do that in that situation and it panned out well for them. But like, I think that's the, uh, uh, the deal for them is Kaminga is a guy they need to fish with. And I think the same thing is, I think they need to start giving Moody more opportunities as well. And I think that's another, like in, in that sense of like, that's the guy that needs to kind of get more opportunities. Otherwise, if they're not going to give him opportunities, then you need to cut bait because now you go get something for him that can help you right now. Cause if you're not playing him, he ain't going to help you. You know, the guy I'm worried about them moving, and maybe it's a situation where you're just saying, we can't do anything this year. We're not good enough to to make a dent, which I I wouldn't do that with Steph Curry. Um, but Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins has come around, and, and he and Kuminga have sort of figured out how to play together. I don't know if you guys noticed last night. I thought the communication defensively with those two guys last night was excellent. That's the best iteration of their team features Andrew Wiggins being Andrew Wiggins for them. I don't know that they can get a guy who's, who's better than the theoretical Wiggins. Does that, does that make sense, Seth? It does. It's just, it's, it's for the bulk of the season. He's been, I mean, I I think that is the, that is the biggest story. That is like really the story of their season and why it's been as disappointing as it's been is you know a guy who's who's you know two years away from wrongly but was rightly an all-star wrongly an all-star starter 
to being, you know, at times, I mean, is it going too far to say he's been borderline unplayable at times or earlier, earlier this year? Um, and he's been better recently, but it's like, it's a big contract for a guy dependent on athleticism, starting to get up there into his late twenties has been up and down. And that's a very, and for, you know, again, this sort of gets back to where are we as a team? And if there was an opportunity to kind of, uh, to reset the books on that one, what would it take to make you do that? I mean, my thing with that is somebody's got to want him. Yeah. That's just at the end of the day, like somebody's got to want him. That's, that's going to give you stuff that's valuable back. And I just don't see that being the, the case. This is just a fun thing with everybody with trade deadlines and stuff and all the fake trades that come out. It's like, yeah, somebody needs to want these dudes. Like, you know, we're not going to talk about them in in, any stretch, but like the D'Lo and Rui Hachimura trade. Like, and I'm not, and and D'Lo's been playing great lately and, and, and Rui's fine, but like, Somebody has to want to give up stuff to get him yep. to get them or for whatever the, the contracts off the books or all that stuff. Like that's the important factor there. And then, so when you talk about Wiggins, I just, who wants them? I don't see anybody that would really go out of their way that it's like, Oh, we're Wiggins away from whatever. I mean, I could see like, you know, looking just at the player, I could see, I could, you know, squint and see that would be an interesting fit on Indiana or something like that. But then, then you, you, you put the whole packs together, the player plus the contract. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets a little dicey. Um, <clears throat> I wanna we, we've talked a lot about a guy who didn't show up on the rundown at all just I now. I know that's so funny. <laughs> Dave <laughs> snuck him in. No, I yeah. Dave snuck him in. It I was in the, in. it was in the text chat. And then he the backdoored him in. I, I see you, Dave. Well, we needed to talk about Wiggins, you know. Um, another guy. How do you guys feel about Jalen Green? Um, obviously a highly rated prospect. I love his first step. But I just don't think, like, he's not a good enough player for, for what Houston has happening. I mean, they, they've just got better young guys who need to touch the ball. And, and I feel like a change of scenery for him, and it's funny, not in a negative way. But more in an opportunity way, he's not good enough to 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 demand the touches where he's at. If you were Houston, would you be looking to cut bait and, and maybe bolster your team a little bit? This is a. It, it's almost. It's funny because it's almost a similar question in terms of like, well, who want who wants him and who should want him might be different questions because I think he's a guy who. I think he was. I think it's fair to say he was in one of the worst development environments in the league for his first couple of years. Uh, and so where is he going to go that is both on the timeline that fits with waiting for him and can offer him an, an environment where like harnessing kind of some of the, the, the talent and turning it into a useful um, probably role filling rather than I think he, I think I, we're, we haven't completely crossed this, this Rubicon yet. But I think it's it's more likely than not that he's not a a you know a a number one option on a good team. Is is he forward. is he like new Jamal Crawford? Like can, could he wind up being like six man of the year candidate every single year because he can come off points. And give you eighteen? I mean, th- this is what I'm saying about Jalen, yeah. right? Like, I, I, number one, the defense it just isn't there. I, the shooting's not there. You know, I, I just don't think he's a good enough shooting uh, shooter. And now he can. 
score because he can get to the basket and I think he can draw fouls, but I, he can't do that at a high level. Like you said, he can't be your number one option. And can he do that in context of, of like the, my overwhelming impression of Jalen green is still like the first summer league game where he and Cade Cunningham matched up and just the difference between now people have said that Cade plays a little too slow, but Cade would catch the ball triple threat survey thing would happen. Uh, Jalen green would catch the ball immediately start pounding it and looking to get his own. And, and, you know, he has improved in that area, but by, by this point in his career, not enough that I have confidence that he can play within the, the a concept with other good players because he's never been in that in Houston. And now that, that they have a little bit more to go around, he's kind of struggled to adjust. It was like, Oh wait, Alpern Shangun is actually the, the, the guy this team is building around. Yeah, I think this is a player that got completely screwed by the organization that drafted him. Just in that bad luck of of the way things went and no structure, he needed that coming in. He needed to kind of be put on a, some sort of track of this is going to be how you're going to build in your NBA career. And instead he was put out in the we let's play basketball kind of situation. And I think that's been detrimental to his career. And, you know, I think Ime would be a good coach for him but that has to be on him willing to change. But like, it's hard, man. Like I, it changes scenery might be where it goes, but like where, you know, like you can Charlotte, maybe just go, you know, and go back to the, like to we kind of mentality or like, if like, I don't know if a place like Miami would be good for him, you know, but like he's getting the same, I think he is kind of just as tough as Spo in that sense, but maybe it's just, there's so much damage and, and baggage in Houston that he has to be taken somewhere else. Like it's a tough situation well, for them. He's talented, but like, yeah, I was going to say part of this is, is, is talent on his own team though. It's pecking order, right? Like right. he's uh, of the prospects on that team. I mean, wh- where do you rank him? Third, fourth. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like of the young guys, you've got Shingun, uh, you got, uh, Jabari Smith, you got, uh, Amen Thompson. Amen Thompson. And, and then you're thinking about Jalen Green. I, I just, again, it's it's going, it, the issue comes up when, when we get to contract time, right? We're getting, and, and the earlier you can make these decisions on, guys, it, this is sort of like firing your coach. The earlier you fire your coach that you've decided is not the guy and you get the guy that you think is the guy, the better you are. Same with players. And, and ultimately, with a guy like Jalen Green, it could be better for him to get him out early because he has a chance to, you know, uh, rehab his value for his next contract. So there's a lot of reasons that it could be mutually beneficial. I just don't know a good landing spot for Jalen green. Um, when you look around the league, like, I mean, he's a small guard. He doesn't defend how many teams need that guy in a young prospect. It feels like that though. There are a lot of young prospects that fit that mold already. And they're better than Jalen green at it. That's just Portland's mo. Oh, I was going to say Portland yeah. has eight of those um, guys. Um, so th- I mean, there's th- there's a broader question here, but sort of the hard part here is like he is in like the meat of this is some research I'm doing for an upcoming thing on the athletic, and like I had to break it down into just a, one discrete skill, which is looking at shooting. Like when is it too late to give up on a guy becoming a either a a respectable or even a weapon as a three point shooter? if he struggles early in his career and really for the, the inflection point for a lot of guys is second, third, fourth year. So he's right in the, the, the mid, I, 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 you know, I can't 
necessarily because it's harder to measure some other other skill areas. I can't really say that's overall where it is, but he's like right in the meat of that where if it's still not happening, it's not going to happen. And this this came up with respect, first looking at like, all right, Scoot hasn't shot, speaking of Portland, Scoot Henderson hasn't shot the ball well. That's not really a ton to worry about in his rookie year. Whereas a guy like Jalen Suggs, who shot terribly his first couple of years and has been pretty good this year is sort of an under undercovered story, I think, mm-hmm. is, is his development. And it's like, okay, it hasn't been enough shots to, to conclude that he's now a competent three-point shooter, but it would not be unusual for a guy to make that switch at the point in his career that, that, that Suggs is. And so the, that's the problem with Jalen Green is he's right in that, that period of it could still happen, but it also might not. It's tricky. Uh, you guys ready to move spot. on to the next one? It's a tough. It's just a tough spot for him, Dave. And it's and and I'm thinking more. It's better for him, like you were saying, for him that they yeah. cut bait versus versus the organization. Yeah, it's just. I mean, again, man, it's just tough. There's been a lot of small guards uh, the last few years, and I don't know. Um, I just don't know what happens with Jalen Green. Speaking of small guards, now this guy. Look, this is going to sound crazy because he's a very good player. I think he's he's having one of his better seasons, uh, especially defensively, because he's actually working some. Should the Atlanta Hawks consider moving on from Trey Young? Yes. Yes. No, it's it's I just don't see where this is going. Like in that sense, you know, he's and you're right, Dave. Like, first off, he's been also more efficient. He's a very on good the, you, you know, he's he's been a, this is probably one of his better seasons you know, on both ends of the court. And I think, you know, it, which is impressive considering how poorly he shot to start the year and finally kind of got going. But I just think, I just don't know where this team is going. Like, you know, we know the whole DeJounte Murray trade rumor is there. And it seems like if it doesn't happen now, maybe in the off season, but he's hard to pair a young, uh, another player with, unless you can find the, the next Clay Thompson. It's hard, man, and I don't know if there's a guy out there that can do that. And I think that's the challenge for for the Hawks. And if that's the case, why are you holding on to the dude? And 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 I don't mean that in a, a a bad way, but I just think like that's a difficult position for them, where it's like he's great, we're never going to do anything if he's our guy. And I think for them, that's why they got to start looking to to cut bait. I think he is, you know, there's a, there's a, it's, it's, you know, theoretical, but there's a theoretical line above which it makes sense to build our entire organization around this guy. And I think he's just below that line. And is, and it, I think a, is that, it a height restriction? Is it like, no, no, I don't, I don't, <laughs> can't, no, can't, I, can't no, ride I, this roller coaster sort of deal. No, or? but I think, I mean, we're, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a guy who is a, you know, we're, Somewhere in the top eight, 10, 12 players is probably where, and he's, and I don't think, and I think he's, he is, you know, he is borderline top 20 guy. Is that fair? I was say 18 yeah. to 25. 18 to 25, somewhere in there. And that's like, and I, and I, and I don't think that because of his size, I don't know if there's the upside to get beyond that. And it's hard to see how Atlanta continues to build around him while, or build with him while not while sort of removing him from the center of everything they do. And so that's the part that makes me think that, that again, possibly for both because he can, he's probably someone who can fit within with, but not be the, the act, the 
maybe he's the, the like you know the flywheel that powers your offense, but it can't be your entire team is in service of this guy's skill set because he's just, not quite good enough for that. It's just too difficult, and 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 the hard part is it's I made the joke, but it's it's too small. It, I mean, you could do it with Steph. Steph's six three. People forget that man. Steph's pretty big. He's pretty tall. And I think that's a hard deal for Trey in that sense. Unbelievably skilled, can make every pass. Like, I'm blown away by his passing, is the, the lobs off the, the pick and rolls and everything like that. And it's just, it sets that if you have to build your entire offense to cater to him, you're not winning. At the end of the day, like, you're not going to win. And we have plenty of proof of that with the Hawks right now. And they've won, in, you know, the idea of DeJounte Murray would help defensively didn't really pan out for them in that sense. And I think there's a lot of issues for them with that as an organization. And it's a tough one because that's the dude that's the face of your franchise. That's a tough decision to make. I know it's a real difficult one for them, but it goes back to back to the Griffin thing that we're going to probably beat that dead horse till it no longer exists and it's dust. But uh, sometimes the organization has to be honest and just be like, what are we doing here? And I think that's the big question for them to answer. I also just, I don't think the, the 2001 Sixers sort of where you've got your small driving force, like the Iverson, and then, you know, a, a bunch of functional defenders. I don't think that model works in today's NBA. And frankly, I think that, you know, I, I, like it's, it's funny because they're inextricable. But I think that, that, you know, Atlanta has had some similar team building kind of foibles trying to do that as, as Dallas has with Luca, And, and Luca's a better player in part because he's bigger. But I think that that almost the fact that it's the similar struggles with Luca, uh, sort of illustrate the degree to which sort of the, you know, having the, uh, um, you know, having the one star and then like a, like a, you know, in hockey terms, a checking line around him doesn't the, really the, work in today's game. The biggest difference, though, is that Luca is a number one guy. And it's easier yeah. when you have a number one guy. It's easier to find a number two and to look for a number two. Now, for me, if, if I was Atlanta, I would be trying to find a real number one to slide Trey to the number two spot where I think he would be amazing. I mean, imagine if Trey Young was playing with Joel Embiid. But that, me. but see, the, the, the problem for that is you, it's very hard to demote the guy right now from one to two like yeah minnesota has kind of done that with edwards and towns and and we all are all kind of somewhat expecting at some point for there to be a breakup between the two of them and that was organic though that was right right and and that was a guy they drafted was a different situation if they're gonna go trade and bring in a guy or go sign a guy to be a number one that's a hard because then it becomes a, a situation in the locker room of whose team is it? What are we doing? It, it becomes a very difficult scenario. Whereas Trey could probably do a better job, would would probably accept that role better if he got traded to that spot mm-hmm. versus somebody coming in and then that's his role now. Like that's the hard part in this sort of the the hard part of this conversation. And I think that's the you know, I said it quickly, but that's mainly because I've been thinking about it for a very long time. But it's a difficult question for the Hawks because he is a, also a fan favorite. He's also a dude that's like the face of the franchise. He has an entire city of New York screaming F him on a regular basis. And both of you should be impressed that I said F him and not the word. I, I'm and so I think proud that's of you right the, now. The, uh, and I think that's a whole 
Like there's a fun story behind that. There's a oh, yeah. whole issue. I thought it, he was going there when he, he drew that out. Just <laughs> Look, Trey, yeah. Trey is very good. He is very good. And, and it's just, can I don't think he can be your number one guy. And like you just said, it's just, it's hard to build around that guy. Um, what about LaMelo Ball, guys? Uh, it, I, it's tough with LaMelo because he's been injured quite a bit in his career and he plays for the Charlotte Hornets, which is like this. I mean, I want him to cut bait. Just please just, I want to see LaMelo play somewhere else, anywhere right. else, like with other good players. But uh, if you're the Hornets, it, it, do you still see LaMelo as this is a franchise cornerstone? First of all, can I, uh, there's a, there's a Hornet stat that I'm tracking that I Uh-oh. just want to want to say at every opportunity. Uh, the Hornets are 10 and 12 in games that have gone into the clutch, been within five minutes in the last five minutes. They are 0 and 23 in games, which do have not gone into the clutch. They're high. They have not won a game by more than seven points this year since 1970. At, at this as far back as I've gone to look so far, and I'll uh, I might go back further and look. There has never been a team that has not had a double digit win in a season. So I like you know we we've talked a lot about like the hopelessness and like you know Detroit and some other places this year. Low key, I think Charlotte might be the the the, the most hopeless spot in the league right now, and I think that has to flame uh, frame the Lamelo discussion. So you think Steve Clifford should be getting? Coach of the year buzz because they're the only way you could say they're winning these games that are close and just getting well, out otherwise is that he's coaching them up because well, they're clearly not playing well. Well, you know who the team that has been the the most clutch overperforming team in the league this year has, has been thus far? Detroit. The Milwaukee Bucks. No. Ah. So, so no, I don't think that because well, um, you, product <laughs> when you have Dame as your your yeah. your guy. Well, when hey, you... listen. Now that Doc Rivers is there doing his ATOs, they're going to be way better. Uh, so Charlotte, yeah, we just got to. We uh, it's more of a, a rescue Lamelo situation, I, I think. But but if you are Charlotte, you have a, a high level guy like Lamelo, who we all agree is a high level player. Um, he's not a top twenty five guy. But, I but think, do you guys see him ever being a top 25 player? Like, is that a guy, like, should Charlotte maybe try to move now, get something of value in return while they're still awful? I mean, they're going to be awful for the next few seasons. They don't they don't have anyone in-house. I mean, it's it's pretty sad. No, I think they got to fish with, with LaMelo because, honestly, if they trade him, just fold the franchise because nobody's ever – he is the only thing that people tune in to watch. And, by the way – they have some talent. Brandon Miller's been, Brandon Miller can really play. Can play. You know, um, listen, all the off-court stuff, it sucks. But Miles Bridges is helpful. You know, like they've had runs in, in what they can do. You know, it's P.J. Washington is good ball player. Like they have talent. You know, uh, Mark Williams went healthy. Just Roll, you know, like there's stuff there. I think you can build a team, but he can't be your number one. You can't. Here's the thing: you can't have a number one guy that plays the way he plays, and same with the way Trey used to play, and and not defend and not give you that stuff on the other end of the court. I think it really hurts you as an organization in that sense, and I think that's the the issue for them. But like they don't. They have to fish with him because they and they just got to start trying to build a team around him. That's why they traded Rozier. That's why they're going to try to trade Hayward and he's going to be a buyout guy and whatnot. But like that, I don't think they have any other option at this point. 
And I think that that the 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 hard part with Lamelo, and I think we saw this his rookie year when they were where when they were credible, is he's actually got some. I mean, he's obviously from a frame standpoint got some defensive tools. He can be. I think he can be a useful defender in in a in a similar way that 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 Steph has been at for for the better Warriors teams in, in the way this, SGA is. I was going to say they, if they if they use them like SGA is used, although, sort of that. Although, did you, center did you field. See, did you see SGA playing ball denial on Anthony Edwards at the end of that game? Like that was you know wasn't wasn't some wasn't some some great V well, cutting by well, Edwards. Let me let me let me, you know. let me put it to you this way: He shouldn't have been the guy that's on uh, Edwards. <laughs> it's, that's that's our that's why we're comparing him to Lamelo in yeah. that sense defensively. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't because we yeah. thought he was a good defender, but, right? But but it's but I think that that you know this is a this is sort of getting back to the development environment in that there've been just it's just ah let it let it flow and I think that in a in a a a more competitive system, I think you could develop much more two-way play out of LaMelo than we've really seen the last couple of years. And so it's, it is on them to start doing so. And they have you know, largely we've, just failed to, 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 to provide that context. We've yet to see LaMelo ball in a serious basketball situation. Period. No, Period. They, they had a couple, uh, they had a couple of playing tournament runs. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> finally, the Detroit Pistons. Should they just fish or cut bait with the entire roster? Um, they uh, they have a really weird situation with all the young guys that they have. Um, the whole Kate Cunningham situation where he can't stay healthy. We have no idea how good he is because they haven't been able to put a, a solid four-man uh, rotation around him. What what sort of decisions do the Detroit Pistons need to make here in the next week? Cut bait with Monty. No, uh, just, just you know, we we know yeah. how thrilled I am by his coach by his coaching uh, so far uh, this uh, season. I mean, if if we're going to ascribe uh, clutch play to coaching, he is uh, he like they have understood the assignment in clutch time. Um, when, uh, they're on pace for in my, I have a database going back 10 years and even adjusting for their team level, they're the second highest underperforming team in clutch situations, which is considering how bad they are just in general. That's a pretty amazing statement. I mean, it's, but they've it's managed a, to bank the losses. It's frustrating with this team because they are talented. They have talent on this team. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at the roster, you're like, you should win more games and than, than you are actually winning at the current moment with that stuff. I don't think it'd be smart to cut bait on any of these guys right now. I th- I think, you know, maybe try to lighten up your rotation here a little bit with some of the stuff you're doing. Like, you know, clean haste. Yeah. Or, I mean, you just don't play him. But it's like, more about the, consolidation is what you're Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. like, they have a million centers. Like, you don't need that many. And I think there's just, like, a lot of stuff like that. Like, they need to kind of, as an organization, to figure out. But I wouldn't cut bait on any of these guys. Cade, uh, Ivy, Thompson, uh, Durin, uh, uh, even Saucer. Like, those are guys I'm not cutting bait on. And I'm, I, I think you have a chance to really build a team around that and obviously you got to hope for some luck and good health but like i think you have something there with those guys and i think you need to start finding the pieces that fit around them after that 
I mean, the, the part that's frustrating to me, and I know we we joked about it, but you remember it was about ten days ago where the quote came out that it was like the front office had reminded, like like Monty Williams, like the front office reminded me that I need to get more on ball reps for Jaden Ivy for a point guard, yeah, for or a combo guard at at minimum, and it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, it's it's you're not good. So the most important the, the important things you can do are instill habits and evaluate. And I'd be doing, trying James Wiseman at point guard. I mean, why not? Like, you're not winning games. You <laughs> well, won no. six games. Just give it a shot. You never know. Yeah, but, it's, but, it's, but, no, but get get guys get guys. You know, put you know get some credible lineups out yes. there. You have to play as you say. They've got the players. You know, with they've got a couple good vet vets on the team too, and Bogey and Alec Burks. Like, you can put credible lineups out there. Let's see what it looks like when you have that and get some real reps for these young guys. And so you can start to evaluate, like, is Jaden Ivey just an undersized two? Is he a combo guard? Is he a star? Like we haven't, like he, he does some stuff. Obviously the athleticism is off the chart, but you just haven't in a, and similarly, like with Cade, you've, you've putting him in these extreme non-shooting lineups and wondering what he looks like as a lead. Okay. He's not Luca. Okay. That's not, doesn't mean he, that doesn't mean he's not like, a high level piece to have on your team. What does he look like as a, as an offensive initiator when you have a real offensive lineup on the court, put those lineups out there. Let's give it a look. I just hope teams use the way the Pistons went about their hiring of, of Monty Williams as an understanding of not how to do it. When the guy turns you down a couple times, you don't just throw more money at him. Cause this is, then you have to remind him to play your point guards. I need to put the ball in the hands of like that quote is a ridiculous quote for a coach to say, like, that's just absurd. And I think that's those things when you're looking at it going like, yeah. And now we're going to talk and look two years from now, we're going to talk about the development situation and how Detroit failed these guys. And it's going to be a, a, a scenario because of this. And I just think like, that's a massive mistake organizationally. And I don't think they should trade any of the guys. I think they need to play these guys. And as you said, evaluate and put some stuff out there in that stuff. They're the most frustrating team in the sense of just that. I understand why the Spurs lose games. There's not a ton of talent on that team besides Victor Webb and Yama, a couple of guys I like, but nothing really amazing. If you put Victor Webb and Yama with some around some of those guys with him, with the Pistons, like, yeah, they ain't a playoff team. But they're competing. They're winning more than 10 games, winning sure shit more than six. Like, I think there's a, a you know, a, a more more stuff there in that sense. And I think that's one of those things. And I think that's just a problem that we're we're looking at with the Pistons. Well, this is a, this is where player development is a cheat code because the Spurs actually do player development and they do it in season. I mean, we watch guys get better every year. I mean, Devin Vassell is a great player development story, I think for the Spurs, some of the stuff that he does off the dribble that wasn't necessarily in his game when he first came in. Detroit, who's gotten better there in the last couple of years? Uh, it, it, no, like I'm – now you turn me into the defense. And I'm saying now that they have a new – I mean, yeah, but now it's coach, like – right? It's more than but I mean, but, but I think just in the sense of changing the situation with the coach and, and all that stuff, I think you kind of have to – give them a, a pause in that stuff. I thought, you know, uh, I mean, we, you could probably point to Jeremy Grant coming over and then blossoming and all that stuff, but it didn't really develop. But like, look, I just don't think they have the development focus, but I think that's organizationally their issue. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's the problem with a lot of teams around the leagues. 
you know, and I think that's one of those things. But just going again to just the Pistons with what they have on their roster right now, like there's not a trade I'd make that like would it that would include any of the young guys in the sense of like I need to see what we have and and in these guys, and I think these guys have talent. I just I just can't believe they they really don't play the way they're supposed to. Like if you're getting like some good pick package for for Bogey and like the the yeah the, gone the, the the deal but the deal breaker is and we need Sasser back also all right maybe we can talk if we're getting like premium draft assets or something yeah. like that but the but other than that yeah um I I'm glad you brought up San Antonio just because it may be a little bit of coincidence but if you look at like uh, like Wemby's splits from when they started they started starting Trey Jones. It's almost like it almost illustrates like it, it, it's probably a little too pat, but it illustrates uh, to some degree like, hey, let's let's put these guys in real basketball situations and then maybe we'll see what they can do. And and just want just want just want the Pistons to do that. We uh, yeah, this, this be... turned into like a Pistons therapy session. Uh, well, I mean, they, they did beat Oklahoma City the other day, which has now officially Pulled Oklahoma City from contention. They are no longer America's team because they lost to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, plenty, plenty of room back on the bus, folks. Don't worry. I'm that's right. <laughs> Little uh, programming note. So for next week, we're going to do our Nerder trade deadline uh, annual tradition. We're going to come on live after the trade deadline. So tampering show is going to be on Wednesday. Nerder is going to be on Thursday. I think we're going to get Andrew Schlecht in here. So we'll have an OKC defender to log on. Uh, anything else as we wrap up for the week, guys? Well, you can't tamper after the trade deadline, so it makes sense to. to yes, to you can. What are you talking about? You can <laughs> okay. definitely tamper. Tam- it's just you're, you're off season. Yet. It's just you're the right. off season. There are well, well, with, with the new buyout rules. There's less. There's less reason for tampering. There's less. Yeah, yeah we can get him bought out. Not that anyone in the front office has ever said that. That I've been around. I feel like you've said that. I, I look. The new buyout rules are actually going to bug me because I uh, will. It's less fun if the, if I the will, old uh, guys that are getting uh, released and waived aren't able to sign with some playoff teams. I will own up that I I advocated trying to get Brooke Lopez bought out uh, his last year in L.A. before we signed him that offseason anyway. And so uh, maybe, maybe I didn't convince anyone right away, but uh, I think that, that long term. Uh, How'd that signing work out? Quite, quite the tampering you had going on there, Seth. Quite the yeah, tampering. Well, I mean, I, I mean, no, I mean, I was. It was internal tampering because I was trying to. I was trying to convince people I worked with to do, do the tamper. tampering. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. There you go. Illegal uh, Seth, guys. And, and as Seth. far as and as far as I know, I failed. So, fair enough. Yeah. We, we'll say that on the record. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's show, folks. For Mona Keel and Seth Bartnow, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder. She wrote on the Athletic NBA Show.